Hello and welcome to the QPR podcast of Lollars. I am Paul Finnick. I was told off because apparently I never introduced myself and no one knows who I am. They just think there's some kind of like really bad Frank Carson impersonator doing it or Jimmy Bloody Crippet or something. Anyway, so yes, I'm Paul Finney. I am a QPR fan and I am doing this podcast. Now, tonight we've got four others on. Now, people always say, oh, you know what, you should have two, three, whatever. But this is not a podcast of sorts. It's a therapeutic session of why the hell we do this to ourselves week after week. 90 minutes or these days, 400 minutes, whatever they decide to add on to ourselves, week in, week out. I'm joined by, well, I don't know, can he call you, well, I don't know, Phil, do you want to say that you're optimistic these days or what? Fellow Sullivan, welcome back. Thank you. It's lovely to be back on. Trying to be Phil the optimist this week is going to be hard, I'll be honest with you, but I'll do my very best. Good man. Like, New York is, it's weird because Phil and Dunson just had a long conversation about Sutton. And I threatened to break it up by talking about Belfast and Glentoran, which made them shut up rapidly. Um, Dunstan, welcome back. How's New York? Yeah, yeah, absolutely fine. Lovely, humid. I'm Dunstan, the pessimist, to, uh, to basically counter Phil's optimism. Dunstan Bentley to his friends, in other words. He's, he's actually had a really smart haircut, by the way, Dunstan. I, I mean, great for podcasts there, Paul. Fantastic. <laughs> Well, you had a Rick Ashley going in there for a little while, but, you know. Well, you, I had you... to give it up, Paul. Hey, he's got indie, you know. So have you. <laughs> and we have Steve Bernard, who I met on the tree and come back for the QPR away game, and he tells me he does a lots of stats, so I'm going to be picking your being tonight, Steve. But, and you live in Putney, so you live in sort of like Fulham territory, so I feel for you, big man. And so, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you, Paul. Uh, lovely to uh, join you guys tonight for the therapy session session um and people listening would know me better as the uh, qpr analytics uh twitter account so uh, yeah great to be here but i don't know what you want me to say that though, because then if people don't like what you're going to say they're going to battle your twitter account or is it called x these days i don't know it's because it looks low x looks a bit it looks a bit 1930s terrible it is, it's awful yeah it's awful it's um isn't it what can we do no, no, I quite like that little bird. Meant a lot. I used to get called, somebody named on that little bird, and now I've just got a big X or someone called me names. It's very hard to keep up with. Right, after a long sabbatical, he's back. He's still on a range of detox. He's just informed us. So this would be fun, getting his views on Saturday, because he's seen absolutely nothing of the game whatsoever. Jim Freeling, ex-QPR employee, X a lot of things, aren't you? Wembley Stadium, you know. Not to say that you should be X. I mean, you're probably a very good worker. Anyway, never mind. Welcome back, Jim. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you. Are you, are you currently employed? I'm going to feel really guilty. I, I am currently employed uh, by a company called Mott McDonald, who, who do big uh, engineering projects and consultancy. And I specialise in venues there. You won't be surprised here. Jesus, do you know what, Jim? I mean, there may be a time when we don't want to talk about the defence. We might say... When are we going to get our new ground? When are we going to get the state of art loft of road goal? When are we going to do this? Week? And you are just, by the way, this is my cat. You hear that? Yeah. So, poor old Snoopy's left us, but the cat has decided to take Snoopy's place in annoying everyone during the podcast. 
It's almost like he's talking to her from above. Anyway, Ray, Phil, we had an interesting chat on Saturday, and we were talking about, and you've set the cat off. She's not happy at all about this, about if it doesn't work out with Ainsworth. In the first match of the season, we're already talking about future replacements. Stranger. Well, we are, but I think that's just deeply unfair. I, I really like Gareth Ainsworth, and I'm gutted for him because he's clearly inherited a shit show. Probably, I probably can't say that, can I? But um, Becky won, Saturday, Saturday started, I think, right back in June. We were letting people fanny around on the pitch and doing all sorts of odd things and charity games or whatever. Then we decide we're going to rip the pitch up. Then they put out these messages saying, this is what the pitch looks like. I'm not being um, wise after the event. I sent a picture of the pitch to my, a couple of my WhatsApp groups saying, we are never going to be ready for the first game of the season. Then they said the pitch isn't ready for the first game of the season, so we'll have to play away. Then we all traits up to Watford. We get in the away end and they find there's no beer, which is a disaster. So I knew things were bad. And then in the 35th second, our new centre-half decides to have a little wander up to halfway, lets their striker in behind him, and we concede a goal at 35 seconds. And at that point, you knew that it had been a culmination of things. It was a complete disaster. But going back to the Ainsworth thing, anyone who's blaming Ainsworth is off their rocker. There were some very odd things that went on in the day, and his interview afterwards very odd. But just look at that side. I mean, you go back 18 months, Kakai, he wouldn't even make the bench. I mean, that, that side... I read lot for words, virtually every word on it. I think Clive's writing is superb. That side is barely League One. So you could bring in Pep Guardiola and we'd have lost that game. It's kind of irrelevant who the, who the manager is. I admit that the subbing on of Willock um, in nine minutes of injury time, six minutes into the nine minutes of injury time, is odd, nay, vicious or something. But there's a backstory going on there. Um, it was shambolic. I think the two things that were good out of it, trying to be Phil the optimist, Sinclair Armstrong was like any one of the five of us. He was so hacked off with the situation. He came on, he charged about. That goalkeeper was driving me absolutely up the wall. The goalkeeper feigned a head injury when we had our one and only attack. And the referee then decided to stop the game. And then for some unknown reason, decided to give the ball back to them. And the only person who went and berated the referee was Sinclair Armstrong. And then the goalkeeper had a kind of wander out of his box with the ball at his feet, miscontrolled it, and Armstrong went straight through him and said, no, you're not doing that on my watch. I'm not even sure it was a, it was a foul. If it had been a fullback and Sinclair Armstrong, I'm not sure it would have even been a foul. Certainly not a yellow card. Um, and the only other positive, from my perspective, was Duke McKenna coming on, who ran around and stuck his foot in, and I kind of gave him a six out of ten. He might not be wildly talented, but at least he did something. But other than that, I thought it was... It, it, we, we played exactly like that team is going to play. That even the fullback, we think is good, is Paul, got absolutely schooled by his bloke. His, his guy could just go round him at will whenever he wanted to and 
the signing of Cook this evening is a fantastic bit of business. But, sorry, can I just say one other thing, then I will shut up for a minute. The other thing that was really deeply depressing on Saturday was our support. I mean, if you call that support, it was shocking. I know it was, you and I spoke, Finney, um, we, we had a, a combined eye roll at half time, 4-0 down. But there were three people in front of me who ranted from the first minute like they, anywhere else, if they'd been anywhere else in the UK, they'd been sectioned. And they ranted and ranted and ranted on 38 minutes when another goal went in, they left. And I was thinking, my God, is that the level of our support now? And then the meltdown that's happened on Twitter since, I just despair. I mean, so it's very hard to pull the positive. That's that's my take on Saturday, Finney. I guess, before I go to Dunstan, I guess I'm not offering any defence because the report was... It was, but you could tell it was going to be that way because it was bad at Oxford. As in, I've never heard players getting booted at pre-season friendly, and I think scoring in thirty-five seconds. If you ever expected the fan base to sort of get back, the thirty seconds is thinking, and then the rest of it was just like, oh Christ, they're going to score again. Um, yeah, it's it's depressed, and it doesn't help anyone. I mean, there's a good point somebody made when they were booing the players when they were leaving and saying some of them are kids. Now whether. That means some are actually made the debuts late as kids and not as irrelevant. They're right. There's a lot of them kids are inexperienced. And it, it, it just, I don't know, it's, it's, the score's just too thin. I mean, do we blame Les? Do we blame Ramsey? Do we blame the board? Do we blame FFP? Do we blame the fact that we can't do FFP properly because we just don't sell players and we keep paying people off? It's just, a, and you're right, it's not all on Ainsworth. What Ainsworth has inherited it. Um, is, is something very, very hard to 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 describe. But Wolberton had it almost right, or a few mess-ups. Um, Bill took us to the top of the league, but something was there that it all went to shit. Dunstan, that's where we bring you in. I, I have to say, I don't think Ainsworth particularly helped himself during Saturday, though. Um, and, and obviously, Phil, I completely get your point that he's inherited this. But if you've got Fox and Gubbins as your back two, did, uh, did, did he get his formation right? You know, what, was there an argument to play three at the back and put Kakai at the right side, play Drew on the right, maybe provide more protection for Fox and Gubbins? Because what I, what I got really frustrated about was that first half, I thought it could have been six or seven. And if it wasn't for Begovic, I think it could have been. And I, I think do agree. Part- Part, part of the problem was, is, is like when the camera shifted to Ainsworth, he was sort of just stood there. It didn't really feel like there was any tactical adjustments. And I think that's something that we saw last year against Blackpool. And I think, you know, it, I do think Ainsworth has to take some responsibility for what happens on Saturday. And I think that... Sure, half time he made he made those adjustments, and I completely agree with you, Phil. I thought Duke McKenna was, uh, I mean, God, I mean, Dazel. I I I didn't even notice him playing in the second half until he walked off the pitch. I thought Duke McKenna came on, did something. Obviously, Sinclair brings energy in ways that poor Charlie Kelman wasn't able to. But again, I I kind of feel that you know. Linden's up top, isolated. I, I, I thought he kind of hung out Smith and Kelman a little bit. 
you know, with Chair, I, I thought Chair was fairly anonymous. I, I just don't think that Gareth got his tactics right in any way, shape or form in that first half. And I think not, not making adjustments isn't going to help matters when it comes to scrutiny on Gareth. And I, th- I think, you know, to be honest, nobody wants him to fail. Like, we all loved him as a player. We all think he's a great bloke. But I do think there are... I thought it was interesting. Jeff Stelling went on this Twitter run this week about giving Ainsworth a chance. And I it, it, it almost feels like, you know, he's being judged on the fact he's a good bloke. You know, yes, he had a, an, an extremely successful 10-year period at Wickham. But I think, you know, QPR and Wickham, QPR is a step up. The championship is a big step up. And I think that, you know... You look at managers like Warnock, who can take a disparate bunch of players, and he's succeeded with Rotherham, succeeded with Cardiff and Huddersfield, and kept these guys up. I do think that the longer this goes on, I do think there are questions to be asked of Ainsworth, and the you know the questions are like not helped by the fact that those post-match interviews are just nonsense. I mean, he's sounding. Well, well- but on that, Dunstan, I mean, I, I kind of semi-agree with you. I don't want to turn on Ainsworth far from it. But one thing I would say, in his post-match interview, he said something along the lines of, we, we would try to set traps for them. And I thought, oh, my God, what are you whittering on about? And I did, right. one, I did wonder if that's why Fox was so far forward in the first 30 seconds, whether he'd been told to get out your own half, you know, we're going to make them run in behind. I had no idea what the plan was. But rather than just being compact and difficult to beat like Wickham were, we were wide open. So I don't completely disagree with you. I, I still come back to the point that it's an appalling group of players. And sure, what one hundred percent. But but one thing I would say, Phil, is if you look at you know preseason friendlies, that the whole reason they exist is to learn from your mistakes. The fact of the matter is, over ninety minutes, two halves of football, we've conceded eight goals: four to Oxford in the second half, four to Watford in the first half. And it's like, what 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 are we learning? What what are we doing here? Like, you know, it it just felt like. I mean, I watched that first half and it just felt like Groundhog Day. I don't think it's over again. From Watford, from Oxford to Watford, he dropped Willocks and Richards. And that is exactly the right thing to do. We, we, Willock, as much as he was brilliant under Warburton and he fitted in that side and was flitting around with chair, he was one of the players of the championship. His attitude absolutely stinks. And at half time, those of us in the ground watching Richards and Willock come up to warm up, they were like two delinquents, just kind of, they were just playing keepy up. They did no warm up at all. He clearly hates Gareth Ainsworth. We've extended his contract. He refused to sign a contract. Next June, he'll be gone for nothing. The trouble is that these players seem to work, think they're in isolation. Anyone going to buy them knows that Willock's attitude is appalling and he's got hamstrings made of glass. If we could sell Willock tomorrow, and I can't help feeling that some of the things going on in the background at the moment is that we are trying to sell a couple of these players. I just hope it isn't field. Um, and if, if we could get rid of Willock tomorrow, I'd get rid of him because I think it's a cancer in the, in the kind of attitude of the place. Whether you like Gareth Ainsworth or not, at least he engenders a team spirit. And I think Willock, this is why I kind of think with three minutes to go, bringing Willock on, there's a backstory to that that I don't know. Well, none of us understand. You know what? 
I think mentioning the word trap and fox um, tells yeah. us why it work. Um, but that's personal. Steve, I'm going to come to you. Um, you've seen the highlights. You've seen the extended highlights because you were on family duty, as you said. Um, did you watch it from behind the sofa, first of all? Well, I mean, what did we expect? I mean, look, I, I agree with a lot of what the guys have said already. I mean, the, the team is, you put that team out against Watford, who admittedly, to be fair, have gone through a lot of churn themselves. But you put that team out against Watford and you, you're going to have a tough afternoon. You know, so I think that's sort of priced in. I think the problem is what Dunstan was saying. With I, I Look, I just ignore the second half from uh, Saturday. They had the cigars out. What were we learning from that? They're not going to they're not going to push themselves too hard. They've won the game. So we've had a first half where we've conceded four goals. Like you said, five goals against Oxford. Uh, you know, the Slavia Prague friendly, you know, that, that, yeah, that was a decent level of opponent who put a lot of goals past us. Yes, first game of pre-season, fair enough. But um, it's you're kind of looking for, you know, something. You, you can't just turn up to games and roll over and say, well, the club, you know, the team is really poor. Uh, you know, you, you, the manager is not um, blameless here. The, the manager uh, needs to find um, the pathways that are going to kind of get results. You know, he showed he could do it to some extent last season with the Burnley match. But um, it's not gone well. It's not gone well uh, over pre-season and this first game. And um, I think the issue with Ainsworth, because this is moving on to the broader point about Ainsworth, it's like... There's always going to be a question mark at this point about whether he's um, out of his depth or not, because he's managed, yeah, 10 years at Wickham, one of those in the championship. Uh, that ended in relegation. OK, fine. They were you know, a very low value team, so not unexpected. I've always had this thing about Ainsworth and the whole Wickham thing. It's, and I hate to say this, if he was that good, why was he at Wickham for that long? Why was nobody else uh, higher up? Identifying his talent and picking him up, um, that then leads on to why we hired him. We hired him because he uh, he is connected to the club and he wanted the job. That's why he was appointed. That's why he's still here. And um, yeah, I, 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 just, I just think that thing about is he out of his depth? Can he actually manage at this level? Is it all about um, <clears throat> emotion? Is it all about getting people to buy into this? We hear this, we've heard this from day one from him. Is there actually anything else in his kind of repertoire which is going to um, enable this club to survive in the championship this season? Um, I, the jury has to be out on that. Um, but, you know, and I also, I, look, I also take Phil's point about this is not just on Gareth Ainsworth. You know, it's not, this is a, this is a symptom of wider dysfunction at the club. You know, that I'm sure we'll come onto it in due course, but yeah, it's, it's not a good team. That's quite obvious, but I just think for me, I don't see anything. I just don't see anything really that has happened since he came in bar one extremely lucky match at the end of last season, um, which has led me to believe he has any, he's had any positive and we might say that players um attitude 
It's that funny you mentioned that whole thing about Willock and uh, Richards and um, the fact that they, they were uh, doing keepy-uppies on the touchline and all that kind of stuff. I, I remember being at a game, I think it might have been Bristol City at, at the end of last season, and I sit where the subs warm up, uh, where they're doing the, the sort of um, the quick warm-ups, and he was he was not interested at all. He was... Um, I, I thought then he he really needs to to leave the club, but you know that all that said, I just I think the jury's out getting on Ainsworth. I don't think, as you said, it's not all on him. But uh, I'd love to know genuinely. I'd love to know from people who really are uh, supportive of Ainsworth what they see as the progress that's been made since he came in. Because even if you want to go from a statistical point of view, th- th- there's nothing. Th- there's absolutely nothing. So. Yeah. I think if you think we look at the stats on some games, they're frightening. But Saturday's stats were terrifying. Um, I yeah. looked at them, and I'm not a stats person. I'm way too thick to even understand them. Um, but I looked at them and thought, this is really bad. This is really, really bad. Um, I don't know, Jim. You, you, you've worked at a football club, Jim. You, 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 I'm going to give you a big up here. Uh, because you haven't seen the game, you 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 you're kind of like coming into this blind. Yeah, we should have fucking done that. I tell you. Anyway, um, you know it's you must be no one for though, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, just about. I think I was there for his first season. No, uh, oh no, no, I wasn't. I left. I left. I met him a few times, but I I left after the Cardiff playoff final. Langley left that summer, and we signed Ainsworth. All oh, right, okay, so it's your fault. Um, Clearly. We're, 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 I mean, obviously, I can't see much of the game enough, but but you wouldn't that surprise, were you? Uh, no. That's a bad <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, uh, I think I, I can't contribute about the game on Saturday. I think what I'd say about Ainsworth is I'm, I'm no great apologist for him, but I mean this group of players have underperformed now under four managers. Do we really think the problem's the manager? Well, the trouble is, I mean, I mean, if you take what Les said and all that um, he left because he didn't want his family being abused, which I totally get and understand. I think with all, if you've got family and you go to the games and people are singing Air Force, Les Ferdinand, um, it's fair enough if you're an MP, it's totally if you're a football person, you're going to get it. That was a, a joke about Lee Anderson, by the way, which wasn't very good, and I shouldn't do that because we're a non-political podcast, and I shouldn't be doing them sort of things. Um, and I, but the buying culture of the club hasn't been great, has it, um, Jim? In the last few years, we're, we're paying players off. We haven't brought the kids through. We thought we were going to bring through, and the kids that we have brought through, we're kind of just they're just making numbers up, aren't they? Some of them, they're not really pushing on and thinking, "Oh my God, this this is working." It's very depressing. It is, and it's, it's easy to look good when the team are getting results, and it's easy to look terrible when they're not. Um, I, I just, I tend to be a bit more middle of the road, I think, than a lot of fans. I don't get as carried away as some, and I don't get as suicidal as others when it's all going badly. Um, there's no doubt it's really bad at the minute. By the way, you know it is, and I think it, the reason for that is that, you know, I remember I think like, I haven't not been on for a while, but the last time I was on, I was, I was thinking, you know, apart from six weeks under Beal it's been pretty poor for a long time. So therefore, and it hadn't cracked for a long time and now it's definitely cracked. 
And instead of like just gradually going sour, we veered to the other side of the road and are now, you know, going headlong against the traffic in terms of our mood. So, you know, I thought we were surprisingly tolerant for a surprisingly long amount of time. And then now we're not. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I think football clubs, the best football clubs make really hard choices. And we do that occasionally. Like you could argue that losing the fixture was a hard choice, albeit I just don't think you should ever be in that position that you're having to ask to move a, a fixture to an away ground because you've mucked up the pitch yeah. renovation. Yeah, you just, that just shouldn't happen. That's that's maintenance stuff getting in the way of, the, of, of everything. Um, and, you know, there's other ways of dealing with stuff, which I won't bore you with, but, you know, Wembley, we routinely used to go, when we did small refurbs, you know, it was like 18 to 21 days. We did, QPR did a major refurb of a Deto pitch and they that's why it took so long. But and, and some of the mitigating factors will always be when you decide to do it, have you got the money? Did you get the equipment booked in? Because um, other clubs tend to go first. So it, it's understandable, but it doesn't look great when everything else is going wrong. We reacted a few weeks, Jim, didn't they? He played some charity games on it, which is fine and dandy, but I'm not sure it was a great idea in hindsight. But they may not have had the machines coming anyway, so that might have been that. They may not have been the cause, but anyway, the weather's been weird as hell. You know, you've had really hot weather um, in June, which isn't great. You don't want it to be too hot when you're trying to grow from seed, and then we've had really wet weather when you need a bit of sun as well. Again, you should factor that in. Not making excuses, but yeah, I, going back, to, you've got to make hard choices as a club, and I don't think we've made enough of them consistently enough, and that's from the board down. You know, we, we we had a style and a strategy that we were going for and every once in a while it gets thrown out. And that seems seemingly what's happened with Ainsworth. Beal was a continuity. Can, uh, Beal came in with, you know, uh, to evolve what Warburton was doing in theory. Then Critchley came. Critchley was the continuity candidate. It didn't work. And now we've just like veered completely to a completely different style. And what is our strategy now? It seems to be let's survive for this year, take our medicine and hope for the best. And but yeah. but I don't disagree with the, the the style thing, but we're missing a bigger point. I think this is so little so little of this is about Ainsworth. We're a club in absolute crisis. I didn't realise until I saw it manifest on the pitch at, at Watford what a crisis we're in. We've I think we've released sixteen players this summer, and we keep getting linked to these really mediocre signings, and then find we can't afford them. I'm amazed that we've signed Cook this evening because I think that's rumbled on and on and on and on. You know, and we've made this ridiculous signing of Taylor Richards because we were committed to it last year. It wasn't a loan. It was a loan with a purchase this June because we pushed it into the next lot of accounts. And you never know these things you see online about players' wages. I saw Ilias's chair wages were six grand a week and Taylor Richards' wages are 15 grand a week. But ostensibly, we, re we released 16 players and brought in nobody. And we keep saying the kids, I, I personally think the biggest culprits in the last four or five years, not when he first started, but latterly, is Les and the academy. We keep trying the kids, they're not kids. None of those people coming through are kids. They've been knocking around for ages. We have got a paper-thin, hopeless squad. Critchley came in to try and play, but there's a kind of cancerous attitude about the place. We should never have got rid of Warburton. But the reason we got rid of Warburton is because he was telling anyone who would listen that the academy is crap and none of the players in it are anywhere near the first team. 
And do you know what? He was absolutely spot on. And if you're going into a football season with Kakai as your first choice right back and Dazel, I, I, I don't like digging out our own players, but I'm about to do it. How does Dazelle make a living as a footballer? The only reason he's making a living as a footballer is because his dad was very good. He has come through academy processes at Ipswich or whatever it is. I've never seen him have an effect on a game. I reckon you could play Jude the Cat in there and you have more effect on a game because at least he'd trip people up with his big shoes. He is utterly woeful. And if we're starting the first game of the season with Kakai at fullback, Gubbins at centre-half, Dozell in the middle of midfield, and Smith, who we released because he wasn't quite up to championship standard and had a good season in League Two, you're going to get your ass handed to. It doesn't matter who the manager is. Phil, can I, can I jump in? I'm oh, sorry. Go on, go on, Dustin. I was about to say one thing, which is, Phil, um, you actually missed an, a, a rather major point about the squad, which is you've not even mentioned the lack of goals up front. Like, you, if you're relying on Lyndon Dykes for your goals, they, they, I mean, you know, Kelman has got, what, no championship goals. Sinclair's got no championship goals. Those are your, those, those are your three. Like, you know, so if you're conceding after 38 seconds... You are your 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 backs are against the wall immediately. So you know, yes, that you've just mentioned, we need a right back, we need midfielders, we need forwards. Like you know, yes, we we're sorting out the back line, but there's a lot of surgery still needs to be done with that squad. Sorry, Steve. Before Steve comes in, one thing you did say: we, we did sign Smith, we did sign Fox, and we signed a large from Fulham, whose name I can't probably remember. It's gone out of my okay. head. Yes, um, we did sign some, but yes, the this has been ongoing for a number of years, as you all know. There's ten players coming in, there's ten players going out, there's ten players coming in, there's ten players going out. What worries me, and sorry, Steve, we'll come to you in a second. Sorry, mate. Um, is I worry, have we really got a chairman? I don't think we have, um, and that's not because I don't like him. I do like him? I think he's a nice fella. Not that ever have I met? No, I haven't met him. Um, been close to him, never met him. Why would he want to meet me anyway? I wouldn't want to meet me. <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, it's kind of, um, obviously, Ruben's got a family tragedy going on, so we can't bring him into the equation at the moment, and nor should we. Um, Fernandez, obviously, with Les going, decided to throw his arse in the fire and get out. Um, now his, uh, his, his shareholding's been being diluted every time uh, they bail the, the, they cover their mistakes. So he's not been putting money in. It's been Canala Lingen has been putting the money in. So that it just came to a point where it was so diluted that he probably thought, well, I'm basically for show here. So Yeah, but the trouble is we've got a chairman who's not a chairman though as well, Jim, before, in sense of, is he running the club? Is he there day in, day out? Is he working with Lee Hughes? Or is Lee Hughes running the club? Because what gets me, sorry, Steve, I will bring it. I'm sorry, mate, I'm being terrible here is we talk about FFP and lack of money, yet we've just highlighted a number of issues that are wrong with the club. The biggest one is not being able to put your first home game of the season against a team that think they're rivals, but they're not, and think they're in London, but they're not. But they can still bring a bigger way support. That's a big money lost opportunity, because come January, we could be cut adrift, or we could be mid-table, or we could be good up. That's a big risk. To lose, to, to, to have all their weeks off, and then have no money coming in when you shoot through, and then having to go away to Watford where, you know, you've got a, a, a smaller waste. But I don't know, it just seems it just seems that we're sort of, we're rudderless, capitalist, 
And at the moment, we're just, we're, we're playing through, I don't know, what's that thing? You know, when you go into like your body, just, you, you, you're just going through the motions, you know, and, and that's what worries me. Steve, sorry, mate, I've, I've rambled on too much. So. No, 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 to be fair. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, well, that kind of overlaps with what I was going to jump in and say earlier. It's um, just going back to the Ainsworth thing. I mean, it's not, it's not completely not his fault. It's the, the problem with Ainsworth. Okay, so there was a guy, um, there's a really interesting Twitter space from a guy called Mike Holden uh, yesterday on Twitter. He's a guy that goes by the name of Fox Punter, um, if you follow him on Twitter. And he always puts thoughtful arguments together. He's very into the kind of psychology of football and sport and all this kind of stuff. And he was putting out a case for Ainsworth, um, a kind of more in-depth version of what Stelling was saying, um, which was all about this idea, you know, you have to give him time. This is this is part of the thing with him. You have to give him years, you know, one, two, three seasons maybe before you actually see the fruits of the labour coming out because he says you need to get to this kind of this kind of place where you don't care what other people think about you. Uh, you just have to just buy into it. And once you, once you um, don't care what people think about you, you have the freedom to kind of express yourself in the way that you um, want to. And that's always, part of the, <laughs> that's always part of the problem. My pushback to Mike was, okay, well, how long do you give that? Because that's fine. That's fine if the end destination is where you want to get to. But we've already said uh, this whole appointment is ripping up the strategy that or if you call it a strategy over the last few years and we haven't i know but there's a danger that if we go down this road regardless of relegation and whatever and if he stays and he does two three years whatever we get to a place where we're signing players who are totally at odds with the idea of bringing revenue into the club because um the, the big issue is about bringing revenue into the club because it doesn't make enough money that's that's fundamentally the problem and we, my fear is with this kind of new plan that we're not we're, we're making it harder for ourselves to bring money into this club. Um, perhaps because we'll be playing in a lower division, um, or because we can't attract uh, talented young players, or, or, or ball playing young players, whatever. So that's last word on Ainsworth. I thought it was interesting stuff I saw from Mike Holden yesterday. I thought it was worth mentioning. And it chimes into the well, your, your wider point there about um, being rudderless. I am, um, you know, I was on a, another podcast late last year, uh, last season, and I, and I naively said, um, oh, I'm sure they're undertaking like an internal review. I'm sure they're having a look at all of the personnel um, that currently work at the club and um, <clears throat> reviewing who should be there going forward and have a very uh, proactive plan in the event of staying up as to who needs to come in as director of football. What does the structure look like? What's going on with the academy? How accountable can we make people like Chris Ramsey, etc.? And I can't be the only person that thinks this, but I am stunned that nothing has happened on the owner's side. Nothing has happened. Uh, nothing has meaningfully changed the academy. Uh, okay, they've been brought into the new training ground, fine, whatever. Um, nothing to do with the person. Les left of his own volition. He, he chose to leave. He wasn't asked to leave or told to leave, which, I mean, I don't get it. Um, and you, you kind of think, well, if he had issues with Ainsworth, if Les had issues with Ainsworth as where led to believe, how can that not be seen by the people above them? 
to think, okay, we've got to make a choice between one of these two people ultimately going forward in terms of the strategy. So in the event that we're probably not going to move Ainsworth on this quickly, he's kept us up, whatever, you have to make that call on the DOF, Jim was saying about making difficult decisions. And um, have I cut out there? Sorry, did I cut out there? You did the Zoom special. But carry on. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. My internet connection is, is dangerously poor at the moment, so uh, I should have... We'll see you south of the river, but, to be expected. <laughs> fair, fair, yeah, fair, fair enough. Yeah, uh, and, and not Sutton. Um, so, uh, well, I was just, I was just, you know, I, I don't quite know where you got me up to there, but um, it's just this idea that I just can't believe nothing has changed in terms of personnel, no review has been undertaken. That, um, well, what you're basically saying in a nutshell is people weren't held accountable in some respects yeah. uh, and nothing's changed. And I mean, it has changed some because Fernandez and Les is gone. They haven't been replaced. The, of, of their choosing, though, to be fair. Exactly. Um, I keep forgetting what the American fellow's called because he's never around to be called anything. So we don't really know. Richard, what... Richard Riley. Listen, Dunstan, because you are in New York, America, USA, yay, um, QPR person out there. Make QPR great again. I'm not doing any more politics. I'm leaving it just there because that's just rubbish. <laughs> Do you know anything about this fella? Uh, nothing at all. Um, funnily enough, he actually um, sort of followed us on Twitter. And then I've, I've gone, I recognise the name. I've gone to check him out. There is no photo. There is no, there's no uh, bio. There's very few followers, you know, it, 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 he's just a, you know, a name in the background. And, you know, honestly, when you look at the amount of American investment that's actually going into championship level football at the minute, you sort of wonder whether, you know, what, what, what's he here for? Like what, how much impact is he having? Is he, is he going to be, taking on you know is the plan for him to step up the investment this he's really really quiet there's there's absolutely nothing about him at all like you know online you know i, I know some of the lads of um at, at qpr nyc have sort of tried to do their due diligence but there's very little due diligence to do that seems to be a point coming back jim have you known that with someone come on to keep you up before. I mean, I keep talking to you about an employee because it was flipping 20 years ago, mate. So, you know, sorry about that. But, you know, I've never worked for the club. You have. Lucky sword. Um, um, although sometimes I don't know if I want to work from. Never mind. Bit weird, isn't it? Well, he's a minority investor, so you don't expect to hear too much from him. But it would be nice if he just reassured everyone as to his intentions a bit. But I think we've got... I think... What's the polite way of putting this? We do appear to be a bit rudderless at the minute, so therefore um, uh, communicating on the right things is important with substance when it's difficult and being honest. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's a few moves the club could make that would, you know, it, if you're not going to have a director of football when you're not, you know, who's in charge? You, know, you could do worse than put Lee who's in charge of the whole thing, frankly, right now. Um, and give them the I know everyone's you know anyone in charge of the club gets a whole load of grief from people and I think we need to actually just think about that a little bit I am incredibly grateful I wasn't at the club during social media it was hard enough going on being on the receiving end of all the emails when we lost or 
going onto the forums and the amount of grief I get. You know, I am so profoundly grateful social media didn't exist when I worked at the club. And I know that people are a bit fed up with Lee, but he's doing a better job than the vast majority of people that we've had. But Jim, um, and, yeah. I, th- I think he is in charge of the club. I, I, you know, and quite rightly, he, he's, a, he's a money man and he's a CEO. And I, so I agree with everything you're saying there, um, especially about social media, by the way. The people in front of me at the away game at Watford, they shouldn't be able to talk. Shouldn't be allowed to talk out loud in their own house, let alone talk on social media. <laughs> the um, I think Lee Hughes is completely in control. This is why we can't sign anyone because of FFP. We can't sign Farino from Wickham Wanderers for four hundred thousand because not we haven't got a pot to piss in. I didn't realise until I saw it with my own eyes the shocking state we're in. And Finney, if you've got a minute, I. I have this thing about FFP now. We have backed ourselves into this enormous corner. We got rid of Warburton, which we should never have done. We had a massive punt on trying to go up with him, with that side. We brought in those four loans, Device, who never really worked, Field, who worked brilliantly, Charlie Austin, who unfortunately was one of our heroes, but didn't fire, and Johansson, whose legs had gone. But we had a big, big punt at it, and then... 18 goalkeepers got injured and it didn't work. And that has coincided with the collapse in championship transfer fees. And we find ourselves absolutely up shit street without a paddle. Okay, that's that's where we're up to. We're going to get relegated because we can't sign anyone, even for 400,000 from Wickham Wanderers. We've absolutely had it. But at the same time, the owners are putting in £1.9 million a month just to keep us afloat. And we're in a league where some teams have got massive parachute payments and have just sold two players for 80 million. And at the other end, you've got us. But the owners are putting in 23 million a year anyway, just to keep us afloat. The Unless there's something that we don't know about that fine that we're paying over 10 years, which admittedly there could well be, if you breach again, it's all due now. Who knows? But the current fine seems to be six points. I'll ask you a question because I posted this on Loft for Words uh, on Saturday. If you four gents had the choice now, we'll spend 20 million, 30 million on players. The owners have got that money, but they're not spending it because of FFP. Break the FFP rules. Know full well we're on minus six points and minus four goals because that's what our goal difference is. And we know we're going to get a six-point fine for breaking FFP, but you're going to have a decent championship side and watch some entertaining football. Who wouldn't take that? Because I'd bite your hand off for that right now. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. And actually, have you listened to the W12 podcast, Phil? Um, uh, in fact, uh, Clive made, made a very good point on that podcast about if you look at Reading, it's not just about taking the points deduction. It's about basically having to sell assets at, at, at vastly um, reduced um, fees. It's about having to agree to business plans. If you break those plans, there's further deductions. In, in fact, if you were to say to me, I, it might be better for us to go down to League One, and I, I hate myself saying that, because the, the FFP rules are different in League One to as they are in the Championship. And if you look at Ipswich and, and Sunderland, what they were able to do was to build Championship sides 
so championship ready sides to get out of that division that might that for us that's a better option especially if you're going to go with this long-term culture gareth ainsworth thing where it's like okay and and actually uh to, to steve's point i also heard the the fox punt uh the the red uh watch the fox punt video and i think you know if we had the luxury of 10 years in the championship guaranteed fine we you know we don't like we we are on the precipice and i think you know the the one thing about the ffp as well it's a three-year rolling so next year there, there's two things that can happen one get through get through this year this is this is the pain point if you get through next year you then lose that warburton year so as a result things will be slightly better the other and the thing tv deals happen, better the tv deals better but there's also the other thing, which is the ongoing hope that Ezzy gets sold. And all of a sudden you then get the sell-on fee, which then makes everything miraculously better. Uh, you know, the fact that he's refusing to sell a contract might force Palace's hand to sell, which would mean revenue coming in, which we could then put towards transfer fees and, and wages. The fact that it's come to that, that we're relying on a player that left us three years ago and, and, and another club for our financial future. I, I think Lee Hoos has done a spectacular job when you look at the fact that we've not defaulted against FFP since that an initial fine. You know, he gets an awful lot of grief because he's having to, he's the one person in the club who is making the hard decisions. And it is no, you cannot have 400,000 for Knight. You cannot have 300,000 for Freno. You know, he's the one that is, is literally keeping us on the straight and narrow. And, and as a result of, of which, he, he's making hard decisions. And that isn't necessarily very popular. Whereas, you know, it feels like, you know, is it Amir? Is it Ruben? Was it Tony? Who's making, ultimately making the decisions? To Phil's point, he is, he is running the financial side of things. The, the fact of the matter is, though, he wasn't the one who appointed Ainsworth. As, as you saw in that video, it was Amit, but apparently it was Amit. But, you know, what other decisions has Amit made? And it feels like there's, you know, was it Les, was it Amit? You know, it does feel like there are too many people that are having input and, and there's no one person who is steering the ship. And as a result, there's, you know, the, it, it, it's going off course, it's different decisions being made by different people. So there is that, that lack of consistency. For us to get on track, we need that consistency. Well, so, so can I just jump in there? So, yeah, absolutely right. But where's the role clarity at, at QPR? Right. Where's the role clarity in terms of recruitment? Um, it's been a hodgepodge. And not, not, that's not a new thing. It's been like that for a long, long time. It's different people having different views about players. And, um, and why they should be part of the football club. Arguably, <laughs> there's probably more consistency now because Ainsworth is basically the person in complete control of all of that, uh, or that's how it appears. So maybe actually there's a consistent type of player that we are trying to sign, basically anyone who wants to join. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's... It, uh, the FFP thing, I mean, yeah. Hey, look, for me... Look, people aren't wrong about what in terms of what they said on here, obviously, but it's why are we not, you know, why are we not selling a player last summer? You know, why are we why are we taking a massive gamble in 21-22, right? For which to which the downside is 
this situation that we're in now, right? And we are, uh, we're, we're not selling players that should be sold. Now I get you can't just invent a market for a player. I do understand that, but people just can't tell me that there wouldn't have been offers for um, people like Ilias Chair last summer, Sam Field, et cetera. Again, these are difficult decisions, but... Steve, didn't, didn't yeah, yeah, wasn't, wasn't Beal's thing, and again, I think Clive mentioned this on the on the W12 podcast, wasn't his condition of coming that we didn't sell Chair and Willock and what have you, and Dieng. Right. Yeah, I've, right. So so why, and I've said this before on, on other podcasts, you know, why then? So Beal is not the right candidate then. You know, we might have the right reasons for bringing that person in, you know, People at the club will say we use sophisticated models to work out that he was our perfect candidate, whatever. Fine. But there's clearly a massive issue there that he goes against the grain of what we are trying to do more broadly to make the club sustainable. And that's the big challenge for the club all the time is how do we make the club sustainable? And we seem to just not. Yeah, well, we've had the right people involved. We just not, we've not put them in charge, you know, and you, you, you guys have all touched on it correctly. Where you know I think Les left, and you can have your views on those, but I, I you know I think he would probably nail his colours to the mast on probably two appointments, which would be Beale and Critchley, and then the others he had an input. But you know if you finally wrestle the control of appointing the manager, which should be a given as director of football, and then it gets taken away from you again, quite right he should leave. Yeah, quite right, and I respect him for it because he's gone. Do you know what? I'll take accountability for the decisions I make. But if you're going to make them for me and then I stand here and take shit, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But, but also, Jim, the one thing I'd also say about the, the Ainsworth appointment that, that baffled me, the whole point to the Ferdinand and Ramsey era was it's about pathways from the academy to the first team. When you've got a manager like Ainsworth who is playing a completely different style, surely that pathway from the academy to the first team becomes that much more difficult because the minute those academy players get to the first team, they're playing a completely different style. So, yeah. and that it, was the issue just, with it, Gubbins. That's why right. Warburton said he wasn't, he, he couldn't play because he hadn't been playing in the back three. So, and uh, um, yeah, and Warburton was probably right about the academy of Bar, with the exception of Armstrong and, and uh, Jones Drew, who played a few, quite a few minutes last year. But I think where, what, what we're sort of talking around a little bit is. There's good people doing a decent job, but they're either not being empowered all the time like Les was, or they're not in charge of everything. Say so like, you know, Lee does, Lee Hughes makes tough decisions, but isn't in charge of more of the club. I, and I, I want to come back to that because, you know, there are things that you can say we should have done more of, but some of this comes to the board and the remit that they give Lee. You know, because if the remit is keep the losses to this and we'll keep subbing it, then he does a great job. I would argue both the board and he should be more creative. And if you, if you, hindsight is always a wonderful thing but if you'd said we're going to be in the championship for 10 years we'll cut our wage bill what are we getting you know, for the amount of money they've put in if i was the owners i'd be like i want a bigger return for this more than a training ground that we've paid most for with a bit of help from the fans you know you, we should have made some real tough calls a while back about developing the fan base developing loftus road you know we are half pregnant with the with a cat to academy under eppp yeah, the, the, the academy folk will rightly say we lost, what was it, 13 players or seven players. I can't remember which way around the stat goes. But like a bunch of players for cheap, you know, because of, you know, EPPP and we don't get any money for them. Well, fair enough. But we should either be cat one or no academy because that's your only real options anymore. So you've got to make that call. 
you know, and that's one of the hard calls we have not made. If you accept on Loftus Road, accept the fact we're not going anywhere for 10 years, even if we get the right site, and then do what you can with Loftus Road and develop the fan base so that by the time you move or get some success, you're building from a higher base. So that's a really bad strategic move as well on our part. Now, Lee, whether I, I don't know the answer to this question, but whether the board are not tasking him with it or whether it just doesn't float his boat and it's not his background, I don't know. But the fact is we have done nothing to build our fan base consistently. And I, I say this with no criticism of the people carrying out the do some really good stuff at the club, but I just feel strategically we've not made it a priority. And you look back now and you say, well, we're being outperformed by a bunch of other people. You know, we've been surpassed by other people. And what have we done to change our narrative in the last 10 years? And we're kind of basically hanging around hoping that we might get lucky like Luton did last year. And when we haven't got lucky like that, what, what we did brilliantly was take our medicine, reduce our wage bill. No sooner had we done that, then we had a really ill-advised, ill-timed, premature tilt at promotion, which we hadn't earned. We hadn't, we hadn't finished near the playoffs to justify really going for it. We just went from, oh, we finally had a good half season when we signed some people on loan. Let's get them all in. And we've sold a player, so let's go for it because we've got the window now. And it's just screwed us. You know, we should just so big long-term calls we've not made. And then the short-term decision to go for it and roll the dice has proved disastrous. Because you look at letting Warburton go and where we are now. Well, Christ, that was a bad decision, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Shocking. But, we, but loads of us were saying that at the time, though, in fairness. But it, it, had, it had got to a point that there was no relationship with, with him and anybody else at the club, from by all accounts. You know, that the, yeah. he, he wouldn't talk to any of the academy coaches. You know, he would go to away games and not name a full bench just to prove his point. So, you know, I think he was slightly guilty as well. But we, he was, you know, I, I when we were, when we went through the bad patches with him, he used to drive me up the wall that there was 38 yeah. passes across the back four without ever putting it into midfield and all this caper. But that aside, we were playing some progressive football with him. But I would, come back, I would come back to my original point. This is why I can't countenance people having a go at Gareth Ainsworth. If you gave that team to Warburton, we'd lose 4-0. We, honestly, we would. You, you know, his team was built on a decent back four. We had Dickie playing well. We had Yoan Barbe who didn't miss a game in 58 years. You know, you know we, we, just, we just had a decent team that could go out and play football. You know, Bright, I'll say Samuel. At one point, had Ryan Manning, had Eze. You compare that team to this team, it doesn't matter who's coaching them. You, you know, what, what I would say, sorry to come in, it, it's, it's, I've never known a club to, to have a kind of a, we're going to bring youth in, we're going to make transfers work, spend a lot of money on the likes of Yeni, Silla, Washington, Luongo, um, and so many more players, and then pay them off or sell them for less. <laughs> Them, or maybe sell them for 600,000 more the old time or in Freeman's case and Ezzy's case yeah but if you actually tally up what we've spent and what we've got back since relegation Ezzy saved us from absolute if I was the owners I'd be looking at everyone in that club and I'd be sacking everyone because it would just be minus 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 we don't make enough money in players with, and with that we're not big enough players in to sell them the FFP. I mean, you talk about Warburton, Phil. I think Les and Warburton broke down round about the Christmas time of his last season when Les nearly 
extended contract because he wasn't playing enough kids because Les needed them kids to be in the team. Because we're going to the new training ground, he needs to, to prove that his system is working. Warburton's not playing them. My other problem is the youth team are getting battered week in and week out um, because people sometimes say results don't matter. Absolute bollocks. doesn't matter if you're under 14, you're under 18, you're under 21s. Results do matter. And the first team, there was the B team. Now I'm going to challenge that, Paul. It, it doesn't but, matter completely. It matters a bit, but it, what matters is how many players you bring through. Yeah, but um, yeah, if you're a keeper and you're constantly letting in 15 goals a game, and but they said, don't worry about it, we'll get you to do a Cruyff turn and kick a ball up the field. And you, you, you're a defender and it's like, don't worry, don't worry. You will worry. No, because that's not, I don't think that's the message. I think the message is that for a long time, it's more important the players that we get. Results are of secondary importance, and I think that's the right decision. You can argue, have we brought players through or not? Fair enough. But don't <laughs> go on about the results in academy football. It doesn't count as much as it, the first thing. But Jim, if you're... Yeah, I, I, sorry. sorry, sorry, Paul. I was going to say, I think what matters more is that like the, the age group uh, system is it, it doesn't help players' development because like when, when you look at, say... Oh, like, you know, they're not playing against men. They're playing against kids of their own age. And I think part of the problem is, is when you start getting into first team football, they're, they're, they're playing against bigger, more physical, uh, like but more, you know what I mean? That's, like, that's I, the same for everyone. And, and no, no, deal I, with I, that with I, the I totally reserves. And look, that's a known known. We need to deal with that, you know? I think fundamentally, you know, I think the, the, you can criticise the academy if you're going to say you haven't produced enough players. That's what academy is there for, is to is to produce players, and and you know have we done that enough? If you really, yeah, no, you're shaking your head, Stephen. That's fair enough. And I think the, the trouble with it is it's really hard to answer that question with a cap to academy when your best players just get nicked. But then saying that, Jim, you know, we've, we've let someone's go that no one knows are going to be good players. I mean. There was, a, you know, and they, they turn up at Liverpool, um, you know, and 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 there's things like that there with those. We just need to be like, listen, if things are going to go against anyone, we will out QPR ourselves at times, and we do. Stupid- that's, that's, everyone lets players go. People oh, didn't yeah. sign the Beatles. It's going to happen, you know. The question is, over time, are we delivering? You should be producing, arguably, a really good academy should produce a first team or a squad player and a player who has a career elsewhere every year if they're really flying in a good year. But then, you know, Jim, and- sorry, Jim, but then do you go back to you made a good point, even though you disagreed with everything I said and pissed at me chips. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not the sort Jim. We've had these arguments and I used to be in the LSN. I was always right and you knew that. Um, move on, but, Finn. Yeah, exactly. Um, you made a good point. You either have to be category one or you have a B team, and the B team should be made up of players you bring in of other teams and academies. And I said this years ago to people in the podcast, and it ended up in a massive argument. I said, if we're not careful, Brentford are going to overtake us. And we're going, oh, it's not going to happen. Brentford are never going to be better than QPR, bigger than QPR. It's like, yeah, they're, they're overtaking us. Because we don't vote ourselves enough in the local area. We don't, there's lots of things we don't do um, right, in my opinion. I banged on about this for years. Mm-hmm. Vote ourselves enough. The community are brilliant, but you need more than that. You need to be out and about and gaining people. Our fan base is like, Magnetic. It's, it's just sitting there. It's another going up, it's another going down. 7,000 season tickets, including the under eights. But that's not true. It does go up and down. My point is that you need to put some work into it. Um, yeah. And there are things you can do but, to influence it. 
last few years, um, I mean, I go to home and away, not necessarily as good or bad. I see the same old faces. I am one of the same old faces. And there's a big, there was, there's a lot of youngsters coming in now, but there's this gap, and it goes with the there. If you're a kid at 13 and you're losing week in, week out, week in, week out, it's hard to keep the faith. When we were kids, let's be honest, we didn't give a shit. Um, your QPR fans, we didn't have the, the, the exposure football has now. I mean, I never seen a PSG show for fuck's sake when I was a kid. Neither everywhere. You know, Ronaldo's bigger than Man United. Messi's bigger than Juventus. You know, it's, it's that kind of the way it's been restructured. The football's changed a lot and we're not involving. I worry about that because we're Fulham and Brentford are miles ahead of us at the moment. Um, well, they are, they, they, sorry, Paul, they are at the moment, but there is, I mean, nothing lasts forever. Everything's cyclical. But also, if you look at what's happening in the Premier League at the lower end with the Saudi stuff now coming in, um, <clears throat> the Premier League, look at the Mitrovic saga. You know, there's mm-hmm. every chance that in the years to come, the Saudi League are going to stop poaching players that would have ended up playing for the likes of Fulham or Brentford or whatever like that, or who are good players for those teams. And um, so I wouldn't get like massively hung up on that because the the whole sport is changing just really quickly. And in 10 years, it might be unrecognisable. But going back to your point about Brentford, um, they're joined up. They're joined up. They know they've been doing this for over a decade. Um, Luton Town, you know, Luton Town were mentioned earlier. Luton Town, you know, they have this reputation of they're, they're just very direct and they've got brilliant forwards and all the rest of it. That's true. But what Luton have been doing for years is incredibly joined up with data. With that guy, um, Jay Sochik, the Blades Analytics guy who's been working with them for a few years. You know, they are, they are dialed. They know what they are. They know what they can do um, with FFP and all of that and that tin pot stadium they have you know they know what they are and they know what they can do we don't appear to yeah we press the button too early i agree i i I mean i look full disclosure i I met andy belk last summer a really interesting guy um really good guy working really hard there got the right ideas Uh, and this is not on him this is certainly not on him um but it's like, is he being listened to in these recruitment processes? Are we joined up? Are, are we signing the players he's recommending? Or is this, again, we're just deferring to what Mick Beale wants or what now Gareth Ainsworth wants or Les, Les wants or whatever? We're not joined up. You can't, you can't be, going back to that season a couple of years ago, you can't be a promotion-chasing team, even though I think we were massively punching that season, but you can't be a promotion-chasing team and then demand that we play a load of kids week in, week out, because that's just not, there's something gone wrong there in terms of the communication and the strategy. And because, we weren't, the, sorry, I think the season gone. that you're talking about was when Warburton, his last season, where we got the low needs in to get us back up the league. Yeah, if, if, if 2021 had been a season, we'd have been promoted. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, we, and, and they got us back up the league, but Les was kind of right. We needed to be blooded youngsters at that point. But once you're not getting relegated, you need to blood youngsters because you've got to know there's no good finding out whether Gubbins can do it or not in a crisis at the start of the season. You know, we should have made calls on him a while ago and blooded him a while ago, even if it means the odd defeat or some mistakes, because you need to make a call and shift people on. They might go on. It might be, you know, look at Ezzy. A lot of people passed him up, you know, and some of it was us and some of it was the penny dropping with the player that 
Good I need point. to make this work, you know. So, it, it, but Jim, it can but Jim, go on. Jim, when you say you need to blood players, that's a theoretical thing, and I completely agree with you. You had to blood players. You've got to have a first team manager, coach who will blood players. But we've got to get beyond the theory. Warburton asking him to blood players. Which players did you want him to blood? There is literally nobody in that setup that was meritorious or even a place on the bench. And so that's what Warburton did, didn't even put him on the bench. And he said, there's no one here. It's slim pickings. So I'm not going to do so, it. Bill, to, to be honest with you, like the way that we're conducting our loans seems to be, there seems to be no consistency around that. And in fact, you talk about Gubbins. There, there is a player who should have really been in ahead of Gubbins, and that was Masterson. Oh, he went grown for two, three years, and then they just got rid of him. Where, where was yeah. you know Sinclair last year? I, th- I think should have been out on loan. He, he, he should have league, league football un- under his belt and some league goals under his belt. That's where, that's why Chair developed. That's why Eze developed. They, they went and got minutes at places like Stevenage and Wickham, and it feels like that was happening for a while. Then it isn't happening. Then it is happening. If there was some consistency, you would then basically have a conveyor belt of, right, these players have gone out on loan. They're now ready for the first, or they're now ready to step into the first team squads. And then the next lot go out on loan and so on and so forth. And it, and I kind of feel that we missed the trick with that. And I, I do think that Masterson could, could have basically stepped in had, had he not had been like out on loan three years and then they get rid of him. I, I just don't seem to understand what's happening around that loan. You've got, yeah, loan you've got to make a call on a player and, and with a view to saying they're ours or not, you know, because otherwise he gets too detached from the club. He's away too much and he gets, you know, Masterson absolutely should have left us this summer for his own good, but we should have made a call on him earlier. I agree with you there. And where the point being, Steve made an excellent point about Luton being aligned, knowing who they are. They are building a new stadium. It is going to grow them, but they don't overreach like we did after one half half a good year. We really went for it. But then again, saying that, again, I'll make a point. Shoot me down, Jim, if you want. Hey, no. Yeah. Your bike gets a puncture tomorrow. It wasn't me. It's one end thing. But for me, it looked to me like a time, and I don't know what you guys think, we're going to wrap this up soon, and we haven't even talked about Saturday or predictions or ours in, so we might have to do a part three, four, five, and six of this, but we had a squad in pre-season, and we play Hakalainen, we play certain people, we'll do this, we'll do that, and then come the start of the season, whoever's in charge is going, pick, and we've brought in six loans. Now, bringing in those six loans is stopping the development of younger players coming through as well so we, we brought in we brought in a lot of loans over the last few years as well so we're talking about one thing but we're doing something completely different by bringing loans in as well we're developing other people's players and, and last season the loans should have worked and on paper they should they should have been brilliant but it went absolutely tits up and you know you can't legislate for that in some respect because every single one of the players we brought in on loan I kind of got I understood and there would have been a lot of wages in that so we seem to panic as well, you know, We at the start of the season. And we're doing it again, aren't we? We're bringing in Fox and Cook before the season starts. And we need to. There's no two ways about it. But it just seems we're very lastminute.com and some deals as well. Other teams get the business done early. We, we, we didn't. Well, it's FFP. But if you've got, no, you got no money, Finney, you're... you're... You're, you're picking up the crumbs from the table. This is the problem, you, you know, and that comes right down to wages and everything. You know, it, if people are going elsewhere because we can't match the salary 
And some of the places they're going to because you can't match the salary is quite depressing. And there's me supposed to be the optimist. But, you know, and, and the likes of um, Jake Clark Salter. I mean, oh, my word. I, I, I don't know who is responsible for signing him. But and letting Barbe go. Jesus. Yeah. And so Jake Clark Salter happened to go to the same junior school as my kids. And so I've seen him from a nine-year-old and he was the most talented footballer in the junior school. And he signed for Chelsea Academy at nine. And it was a big hoo-ha, let's have an assembly. It was literally like that. And he was in their academy from that age until we bought him. And he was low, he was part of the puppy farm and he was loaned out all around the place. But he hasn't played any more than about 30 games in any season ever in his life. And he's 26, 27. He's clearly a really talented boy. But professional footballer is ability, mental fortitude and durability. He's got absolutely no durability. Surely someone must have seen that when we went to sign him. Yeah, think, but, but, can I just say, can I, and you're right, to be fair, you're, you're absolutely right on Clark Salter, but Sam Field was the same. You know, Sam Field yeah. had not played any football really, not consistently. And we have been... He's had interest, but he's we've been very fortunate with him, I think. And he will Man, Man United have just paid 72 million for a player who's finished five games of 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So um and Sam Field, you know, he he's one of those that needs to be sold. This year. You know, sorry. Yeah. Go on. Robert of Leeds. Obviously not because he thought the Birmingham was a joke. It was a terrible joke. Sorry, I was going to say, are you telling me that Man United had just bought Jake Clark Salter for 72 million? <laughs> Hallelujah, <laughs> we're saved. It's sorted. <laughs> it, Reasons to be cheerful, we found one. Steve, <laughs> I would say, I mean, you're talking about stats, and this is the way the modern game is, and you know, the analysts looking at players and stuff. And you're looking at Barbe, and you're looking at Clark Salter, surely it's a, it's a no-brainer. You, you keep the one that's going to be a, a six to seven every week rather than somebody who may play six or seven games. Yeah, well, yeah. Steve yeah, Palmer I mean, versus your Matthew Rose, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, I, mean it's this, I think this is the hindsight thing, to be fair. It's, I mean, I, I, look, I didn't, I didn't want Barbe to go. But we don't, I don't know what he was, they were, he, he was asking for in terms of a wage. They got a factor that in. They got a factor yeah. where the clock salter was going to take a lower wage. I don't know. I don't know if he is on lower wages or not. Think there's wages, but you, you know. think there's wages that are printed out or correct because I'm kind of struggling and I have been for a while to understand why Albert's one of my top earners when he's when he was brought in to, to, to play so few games. And that's not being disrespectful to him. That's just being bloody honest. It, it seems mad that shows on a third of his wages, as it would seem. It just doesn't make sense. Well, it's just about when you get signed. It's about when you get signed, what you're, where you are in the development cycle, you know, length of contract. I mean, the Adoma one, I mean, I, I said this last year on another podcast, I just don't get it, honestly. It, but the, you're right. You've got to look at it with wages in context, but players don't, wages don't really go down much. They tend to go up. So younger players, one of the good things about younger players, they tend to be cheaper. So... Right. I'm going to argue against myself here and say you never know what Clark's altered on relative to Barbe, but Barbe's contract, I remember saying at the time, you know, he might have thought that he was going to earn more and the market, the, you know, the market had changed in the time that he'd been with us and it might be, he'd signed as a free agent, so he was on probably quite good wedge. But to be fair, I think it might be a rare case of the club making a hard decision 
I just happen to disagree with it, but they did at least make some of the tough calls <laughs> that I'm, you know, maybe that's Jimmy, are you saying that that was a Bordeaux line decision? Is, is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Thank that, you. I guess that just sums it up, doesn't it? You could, you, it could have gone either way. We could have, Barbe could have gone and not played five games for Bordeaux. Nice little, he did the, and Clocks could have been played 40 games. I mean, it's interesting what you said about Wolverton. I think after Wolverton went, and then we will have to drop. I'm, I am actually enjoying this podcast because it's not only therapy, it's actually, I've learned a lot. And you know, this is this is why we do these podcasts, and you know why everyone else does their podcast as well. They're all they're all decent, and they should all be listened to. By the way, I don't mind just mentioning other podcasts. This could roll bloody QPR fans. Uh-huh. Be to be ridiculous in that, but I kind of think if Bill hadn't started off so well, people would have still mourned about Warburton. And rightly so, Senate was a bit disrespectful, sacking him on a golf day for God's sake of all things. It seemed a bit weird, but Bill came in, shook the team up, and everyone's gone. Who's Warburton? Critchley comes in, the same time looting get Edwards, funnily enough, and the rest is not so much good for history. It's just, I guess, I just wonder if, if you might, is it Matthew Penning that runs Brentford? Not that I'm going to hop on too much about them, but I'm wondering how much say he ben has. Ham. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, I knew it was something silly. That's no, not, it's a lovely name. Um, I'm just wondering, I get everyone's name wrong, I've got to stop doing that. Anyway, um, so Jim Frying. Um, I just wondered how much say he has compared to, like, the say of all owners. Do you think it's a different set of a person? I know he's very much in control, but I'm just how much control is a good thing for a person to run a football club? There's loads of different... It, it doesn't really matter. There's loads of different ways of doing it, as long as ultimately you get someone at the top saying no, who's in charge. And the one thing we've not done is say that Les was completely in charge or Lee Hughes was completely mm-hmm. in charge because the board keep coming in and going... Uh, oh no, we're going to do something random now, you know. And that, it's their right; they pay the money. But you know, we we're the ones who have to then sit here and go, "Oh, you you probably could have done better there." Um, so at Benham, I don't know the dynamics of Brentford intimately, but from what I've been told, they're well run by their board, who tell the the CEO and the staff exactly what they want to be doing. You know, they've and they've delivered a new ground in London, which is a hard challenge to do. They've got a good CEO there who I do know personally a, a bit from his rugby days. Um, and they've got the trump card of their own massive amounts of data that they get from his betting operation where they've got their own proprietary data that no one else has um, because they choose to create it themselves, which is what Brentford and Brighton have both got because they're owned by people who were you know, gamblers and spread betters. So um, it does. there's loads of different ways of doing it. You don't need to have any one thing, but it's just being, you know, clear lines of accountability, which is what we slightly lack at the minute. So, um, and if you can, you know, you need to have something that gives you an edge over other people. We used to have that. You know, our tradition as a club was in bringing through our own players, which not every club could do, and in having an asset in our ground that we could use for a whole, like loads of different things with a plastic pitch. And we were miles ahead of the game with technology and innovators. And we had innovative managers like Terry Venables with new tactics. And we've lost that. We used to be genuine innovators. And now we're not. I mean, what, what are we doing that is different from anyone else in the entire well, league? Well, uh, moving it on, Finney, can I just ask a question of everyone? And I'll, I'll go first, I'll answer my own question first. If you like, How does anyone imagine that we might stay up this season? And that might seem a very doom and gloom 
question. But when you saw Saturday, that is a relegation team. And I, I, going first, my only hope is that we sell Willock in the next fortnight, that Jack Colback gets fit and him and Field in the middle of midfield form a huge partnership. Dunn gets fit and has a great partnership with Cook. We play chair at 10, right in the middle of the field. We, Armstrong, Sinclair Armstrong comes good. And uh, this is his breakout season. With a sale from Willock, we get in a right back. And with him leaving, you know, sideline Taylor Richards and the team spirit under Ainsworth becomes a kind of underdog, backs to the wall spirit. If, if all of that was to happen, you could possibly think that we might cobble together enough points to stay up. And as someone said earlier on, who knows more about it than I do, we'll have more FFP headroom next summer. That is about the breadth of my hopefulness. Dunstan? So with, with the signings, I, I actually think with Ainsworth, the, the, as I say, the problem is conceding goals. Like, and uh, actually, moreover, our problem is scoring goals. If we're going to stay up, we're going to have to win a lot of games 1-0. And I think they're, they're building from the back with Fox, with, you know, callback defensive midfielder, Steve Cook. I think, you know, if we are going to have any success, it's going to be more results like Burnley away last year than Blackpool away and Watford away. So I think we're going to be in for a really boring season, gentlemen, with very few goals. And I think, you know, winning 1-0 or drawing 0-0, drawing one all is going to be our route to, to survival. Fair enough. Uh, Jim? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't have to be amazing to do all right in the championship. We need to burgle about what? 13 wins from somewhere and a few draws. So, you know, I think we need to, um, I don't think we're selling Willock, you know, unless it's for very little money. But frankly, if everyone believes he's the issue, I I had real, I I couldn't decide last year whether it was his attitude or real low on confidence. And I don't know, but it's starting to look like it's attitude. Um, and I only say that because if Ainsworth can't get him buzzing, then yeah, who can? Um, so I would almost be tempted to say go out on loan or just get his way, get rid of his wages, and that'll save money and reinvest them. It's almost getting to that point. You know, I think Chair can turn around. He he carried the team a lot last year. He put in real effort. I think he can get back there again if you just say to him, "Give us a season, idiot, and we'll let you leave." next year for as long as it's for at least x million so i think all the reasons you outlined phil are fair enough and i just think um i hope i hope it leads to enough pennies dropping that we need to get real on a number of fronts um and if not we'll just have to regroup in league one and so be it i mean i don't quite get the massive angst about doing that i think Dunstan was right earlier we did it before we came back stronger there's not it's hard and you might not be down there for three years and it's a shame when the TV deal goes up, but so be it. You know, I don't think we've got any right to be in the championship and who are we to say that we should be? So, yeah, I just think pennies need to drop all over and application levels need to go up. Steve? Um, okay, so it's a difficult question to answer because I, I, I genuinely don't think we do stay up this year. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. Um, 
I posted a few weeks ago a chart which showed over the last 10 years, if you look at the correlation between massive squad turnover and very low value um, squads, basically, you've got a pretty good probability of going down. And that doesn't mean you're going down. It's a probability. It just means the probability is fairly significant. Um, obviously, every club is different. So, you know, take that into account. But look, OK, so... For me, I'm afraid we need to sell Ilya's chair this summer because he is a high-value player. He's the highest-value player we have, and he needs to be sold because it, his value is already lower than it was 12 months ago, and there is every chance after this season it will be cut in half again. So, And I understand as well that, that no one's going to bid for him until the last week of the window, uh, if they bid at all, for if anyone bids for him. Um, I think one thing that we haven't mentioned on here i know we've run a bit long but it's um they've relaxed those transfer rules about where you can sign players from the, the brexit stuff it's um basically the clubs that the kind of clubs that would be signing an Elias chair or a sam field or chris willock they can sh they can they can fish in a bigger pool now so it's not a guarantee that we sell them but we need to try and sell them so on the basis that chair goes and maybe sam field as well it's very difficult to see us staying up, but but like you said, you know, if we if we get the back right, it's fairly basic stuff, but you know, it's very John Sitton. But if we get the back right and then we move to the midfield and all the rest of it, maybe we can cobble together enough results. I, I I'm very sorry to say I I just cannot be optimistic about where we are because I'd be I'd be lying to you if I said I think we're gonna stay up. And um, I really hope we do. I, I get the point, Jim, about relegation isn't shouldn't be feared. My worry is the club is so um, inefficiently. Okay, that might be harsh. The club is, the club has some dysfunction issues, right? And if you look at clubs in League One, even in League One, even League Two, they are a lot of them have adjusted to this new landscape and are investing a lot of money in data analytics, joined up thinking. Plymouth Argyle are a great example of that. Again, another really joined up football club who've been in League Two, League One recently, and are now in the championship and may well thrive. More and more clubs are doing this at that level. And so the idea that we get promoted after two, three years, whatever, I don't think that's a given at all. I, in fact, I think... There's every chance if we don't sort our house out, things could get even worse. So I'm very sorry to be so pessimistic. I'll still be going to the games. Don't worry, I'll still be going to the games. And um, I really, really hope we can start to push ourselves forward again. But it's going to be a slog. Going to be a real slog. Um, yeah, sorry, guys. Tell you what, after this, be fucked if I'm asking freaking predictions for Saturday. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> as I said, it's therapy. I'm going to see this podcast as therapy. I'm going to keep doing it. My own personal thoughts are that we're screwed in a lot of ways, but it'd be so QPR to do the opposite of what everyone thinks and end up in the playoffs and go up and do a loop. <laughs> there you go. But that's not going to happen. That's always been the, the, this will be the year we go down with like uh, like record points, like you know. But we'll have a massive cut run. Oh yeah. <laughs> and look, it's, I think you're going to look at it realistically. I hear what Jim's saying. I hear what you're saying, Dunstan. And 
relegation to me scares the shit out of me. Um, basically because I don't think we've got the bounce in the structure of the place to come back because of various reasons. And bigger and better run clubs than us have struggled big time to come back from that league. That graveyard of a league will swallow us if we're not careful. And Charlton well, Athletic. Look at Charlton Athletic. That's yeah. very real probability of really? where we're not. I mean, you look at... Not, I really hope it's not. Yeah, but- of clubs are, and I get we've been there before. Football's changed. We've, we've said it ourselves with the money that's come in. The last time we were in the position we're in, Jim, I think relegation was softened in a horrible, disgusting way by the administration, about losing the club, about having the fight to keep the club going. We had a bigger fight than just winning football matches. This time, it could be curtains because if we're losing 1.9 a month, I dread to think what we'd lose in League League One. It's going to be a lot more than that. And then, not, you know, No, because wages are a lot cheaper, so it's not necessarily the case. That's the rules are different. Can the fan base take another relegation? You know, after so many years of just... I mean, we've kind of bubbled around in the Championship with one good season, pretty much, for Warburton and... We sacked them for that. Um, we, we said we would have gone a different direction, but didn't say what fucking direction that was, um, which was fair. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I would worry about relegation. I'd worry about rebuilding and I'd worry about restructuring considering we've made an absolute exit of it in the championship. That's my own personal opinion. I'm happy to be wrong. Um, and if we can find an old Gina Padula or someone like that to walk around with an alien against Oldham or whatever, um, I'll leave the words and I'll be happy because we need, the club needs a reset. There's no two ways about it. It needs a, and if you keep second managers, you're not going to be consistent. You're not going to build foundations and you're not going to go anywhere. But I honestly don't know. I think it's a sad time because, we, you know, Ainsworth has come back and one thing QPR does do is kill legends. You know, Jerry yeah. France second time, um, Ian Holloway the second time, Alan McDonald was treated shabbily by the club um, as a player when he left and as assistant manager, um, which was a real shame. Les Ferdinand, he sort of left. As a player, Dillard, as a director of football, people shrug their shoulders and say, oh, it's a shame that they were going, but we've kind of killed his reputation a little bit. And that depresses me because I hate that. And I think we've we've got to stop destroying reputations. We've also got to give jobs to people who can do the job properly. I'm not saying that's not anywhere for anything like that. We've got to take, have they played for QPR at the equation? That said, if they brought Steve Gavin in as a director of football, would I be against that? I've got to ask myself a question. I fucking hate people do that. Um, You know, I'd like to see Steve Gavin come back. Um, I'd like to see Ainsworth succeed, mainly because if Ainsworth succeeds, the club succeed. If the club succeeds, everything's better. The fan base is better. We can grow. To me, we've got massive problems. And I just think we need to, and the board needs to look at themselves as well. As I said, not Ruben because he's gone through a lot of grief and personal grief, which is way more important than football. I get that. But the board needs to look at themselves as well. And they need to be a little bit more forward thinking. And as Steve rightly said, joined up would be a great way of doing that. And just, just take a step back and breathe. Stop panicking. That's our job. What I find depressing is Rangers fans in the first game of the season turned on each other. I don't like that. It's, no, it's not, not, not the Rangers I grew up with and not the Rangers I want to grow up with. Don't, it's, it's, it's depressing. It's horrible. And 
And I get the frustration, I understand it. But, you know, booing at friendlies, booing at the first game of the season, saying you don't know what you're doing when it was a stupid substitution in furnace. It just brings everyone down. And that's a sad bit, you know what I mean? Where, you know, almost sadder than Watford fans leaving a 4 0 up with 10 minutes ago. Absolute ridiculous. I'd be, I'd be doing a flipping can can, I tell you. But okay, what, what, what do I know? It's, I find the oh. down. Paul, just, can I just say something? I, I, I do I do think the board and the people running the club are, are slightly responsible for this because I think that there's such a level of frustration from the fans, but they don't know where to where to point that frustration. So it's basically just that anyone and everyone, you know what I mean? Like we could not pin it on just Les or just Lee or just Amit or just Ruben or just Tony. And I think, you know, Oh, uh, you know, or or just Gareth, and I think that there, there needs to be a much more, yeah. And we, we talked about this. There needs to be more accountability. There needs to be a much clearer kind of that this is this is who is responsible for what, and there needs to be ownership of that. And I think until then, I, I think you know, if you look at uh, social media, all of the you know the get get rid of these clowns. It was every single person's face. It was like they did not know who to blame for, for where it's all going wrong. And, and until there is that accountability, I think, Paul, it, that it's going to be like that. And I think, you know, it is going to be, I think there's going to be a, a level of that frustration which is just going to overspill. And, and unfortunately, I think, and, and, you know, we, we, they've just got to, they've got to straighten it out. Right. I think we've 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 done the therapy. Um, it's time to put our feet on the ground and breathe, people. Because now is the fun part. I'm skipping ours end because frankly we'll be here to fickin' Wednesday of next week. We're an hour and a half in. And yeah. I've, I've got we've got a game to go to by then. Um yeah. I'm gonna start I'm gonna do the usual thing, but I'm gonna do it backwards. Steve, Cardiff away, a team like ourselves, how are we gonna do? Uh, okay, so Cardiff look, looked reasonably impressive in their first game and uh, some decent players there. 3-1 Cardiff. I, I think it'll be better than... I think it'll be better than last week. But yeah, 3-1 Cardiff. All right. It's me getting drunk up in the, um, the Paddington early doors. Jim? Oh, I'm going to go nil-nil. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Dunstan, in New York, are you guys meeting up on Saturday? Of course we are. Oh, of course I good we are. Any, any, yeah, new, any new blood this year? Um, yeah, there, there is a, a bit of new blood. And uh, very quickly, we've just launched QPR USA as well. So... Uh, go check out QPR US of A on on X and on Instagram and and um, you know get if, if you are in the states get in touch if you, if you're traveling we're we're trying to get um, a bit more of a uh, like a Rangers community not just in New York City but also also America which is uh, starting to take off a little bit which is great uh, we have uh, we've obviously we have tourists come over so more than welcome uh follow, follow our myc channels for that um and i'm gonna say cardiff 4-0 i like the fact you went all around the houses putting the usa thing which is brilliant and well done before you actually came down and just threw that in at the end and then over to phil 
Well played. <laughs> I'm supposed to be feel the optimist, but I'm struggling here big time. I have to say, I I think that he will put a team together that will be a bit more robust, but it's not going to happen overnight. And I also think with our limited budget, we're going to be diving for the line for late loans from Premier League sides and whatever's left scraps at the end. And then Ainsworth will make a side. So I don't agree. I think that we will stay up just. But my prediction for the rest of this month is shocking. I think that we, if we're, lu- if, we're lu- if we're lucky, we'll get an away draw at Cardiff. Then we're going to go badly out of the League Cup next week. Then we're going to get humped. <laughs> then we're going to get humped by Ipswich. Then we're going to go to Southampton and get lose eight nil or something. And the, and there is going to be utter uproar. And there'll be infighting and fist fights in the away end. And the world will stop spinning. And only then will he start putting a side together. They will be optimists. Jesus Christ! What would it be like <laughs> if you're a pessimist? Um, Holy so, hell! <laughs> oh, and by the way, we're not playing Bristol City away in the next round of the League Cup. Well, but I did say we're going to get a draw at Cardiff. Bill, no, a bit about therapy and your feet on the ground. Did you get the memo? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, because that might have helped for that little prediction there for a second. And those of you who are still with us that haven't jumped through the window or just stay away from the knives for a little bit until t- t- till we come out of October. Is that what you said? October, so end of September, October time, Phil. We should be okay. I, I think I think in September we'll start to see green shoots, but it's it, going to be it's going to be a bumpy ride until September. And then Phil's world up means we get a corner, right? <laughs> um, I think. Um, Jesus, Phil. I mean, I, I actually, do you know what? No, I, I was going to just do what I always do, which is say we're going to win, and then everyone goes, oh, Finney's a genius. He, he called it right. But I always say we're going to win, and like a broken clock, you're going to be right at least twice a day. Um, I don't know. I think I think I'm just going to write off the next few games because there's so much going on. There's so much restructuring needs to do, and there's so much... Um, I'm sure the team that started on Saturday will be the team that starts most of the games in September and therefore afterwards. Um, and just hope we can just keep our pride going until we can reset properly. So hopefully we'll get a draw Saturday, and then after that, who knows? But I'll tell you what, it's 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 my idea of therapy for this podcast. It's it's kind of got a little bit wrong. I'm not fingers at Phil correctly. Okay, optimist. Last last thing, Paul. So optimistic because I fear I've been incredibly pessimistic. If a bit, if a bit, you see, the question earlier from Phil was, um, how will we stay up? The Birieze gets sold in the next couple of weeks for a lot of money, and we're suddenly flush. We got a chance. So yeah. there you go. Sorry, Steve, do you trust us to spend that money wisely? No. We've already had some no, money. We'll just sign another six 30, 35 year olds, and we'll be absolutely <laughs> fine because it's all about leadership. It's all about. Hey, listen, if that's the case, Steve, we're going to win the championship vets league. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're all good on that front. Oh, there, we, there we go. Okay. And, a card and a red card for the podcast and Donson's going to get both if he's not going because mm-hmm. after Steve came back and said oh, do you know what I feel a bit more optimistic Donson's come back and said yeah look what happened the last time we had money that went well it's historically true wrong. Yeah, <laughs> historically true and I remember do you know what I remember something I was asked about or some stupid thing was on and they said oh you know these billionaires have taken over QPR. How do you how do you think it's going to go? And it's only a day into it, and I went, 
if anyone can mess up being run by billionaires, it'll be us. Hey ho, there you go, Mystic Meg. Put your pipes away. Oh, I know she's oh she's dead. Never mind. Sorry, Mystic. Rest in peace. Um, the other thing I'll end with the podcast is by thanking you all, Phil, Dunstan, Steve, and Jim. It would be very wrong of me to say to everyone keep the fear after this podcast. Just maybe hold your nerve. Yeah, maybe just hold your nerve. And um, you know, just 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 the ground people, feet on the ground and breathe. Well, this has been an amazing podcast. I must do more of these therapeutic sessions. I feel brilliant. And um, thanks for sticking with us. And thanks also for listening to the podcast. And there's many QPR podcasts out there and brilliant things. Enjoy them all, read them all, and just stay um, beating the ground while you're doing it. But listen, it's been brilliant, guys. Thank you so much. It's been a long podcast and it's been kind of nice. And I just hope that we, we are words. And I'm looking forward to that. I want to eat my words big time. This has been Open All Ours. I'm Paul Finney. Thank you, Dunstan. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Phil. And we'll be back again next week for another edition of The Happy Pod. 